0: It allows students to realize that we're all scientists. It's just a matter of learning
1: to ask questions and to see about how you might answer them. Welcome to Learning Unboxed, a conversation about teaching, learning, and the future of work. This is Annalise Corbin, Chief Goddess of the Past Foundation and your host. We hear frequently that the global education system is broken. So welcome to today's edition of Learning Unboxed. As always, I am super excited about our guest and our conversation today because we get to talk about one of my favorite places on Earth. Yellowstone National Park. Um, And for those from, you know, around the country and around the world, if you've you've never been there, it's one of those iconic places um, tied to the American West, and it is just so very near and dear. So I'm super excited that we get to talk about the amazing programming that's happening at Yellowstone. And joining us today is Beth Taylor, who is the youth education program manager at Yellowstone National Park. Um, And she comes to the park with tons of experience. Um, and really, quite frankly, leads some pretty incredibly cool programs that we're going to talk about today. So Beth, welcome to the program. Hi there. I'm very happy to be here. So Beth, let's get started for our folks who may not be familiar with Yellowstone National Park—the place first and foremost. Um, you know, in our own minds, we believe it to be very iconic. And for you know, you and I, who both spent a lot of time in the park, uh, we love it for obvious reasons. But for folks who are not familiar, give us the hundred thousand sort of foot view of what is this place? Great. Yes. Yeah, so Yellowstone National Park is the world's first national park.
0: Established in 1872 and before the National Park Service even existed. And it's mostly in the state of Wyoming. It's 2.2 million acres, but a little bit um, spreads out into Montana and Idaho. And it's an amazing, huge, mountainous landscape. It sits on top of a large volcano. So there's really unique geology here. Geysers spurting hot water out of the ground, myriad hot springs, lots of waterfalls, um, snow capped mountains, river valleys with abundant wildlife, huge uh, herds of elk and bison, and even large predators like grizzly bears and mountain lions and the gray wolf. So uh, it's really got a little bit of something for everyone. The night skies are amazing here. Um, mm-hmm. There are some villages with, you know, hotels and and uh, eateries and gift shops, but for large, really undeveloped. So the 2.2 million acres is a vast wilderness, practically, um, with lots of things to explore, to challenge yourselves on hiking trails. But it's really neat that it has been set aside by people. People chose to kind of say, this is a really interesting, unique place. No one should own it. So it will be the people's place. And we will all um, collectively own it. So it's public land. It's a, a kind of a, a destination for a lot of people from around the world to kind of be watch wildlife come here and um look at the the weird geology there are bubbling mud pots and the geysers uh, most of them are unpredictable but of course old faithful you've probably heard of because it's actually uh faithful somewhat we have uh predictions <laughs> <it> erupts <laughs> today. um but there's kind of a lot here you know a little for everyone no matter what your interests are and what is I find really wonderful about it is that I have been here over 20 years, but there's always something new to discover. So -hmm. we get bored here. And if you come back over and over, which many people do, you find something different every time. And over the years and the decades, uh, since there's been here for almost 150 years, a park Mm -hmm. um, for people to kind of come and just sightsee, it has had different values over time. I think people were definitely intrigued by the geology at first. But now that we have less and less wilderness out in the West, um, seeing a herd of bison is a very, is a novel thing. Um, and certainly being in grizzly habitat, you know, with our developing, you know, our cities and things like that, there are not as many places where gray wolves or grizzly bears can live. So this has kind of become a place now as a wildlife haven and um, and things like the night sky. I think in 1872, they didn't preserve this place like, oh, wow, look at all those stars. You know, across the West, that was something they would have taken for granted. But that has become something very valuable to us these days because we have so much light like, pollution with our cities everywhere else. So I think it's neat to think throughout the generations, what will we discover next? What is the next value of Yellowstone? And um, we owe a lot to those who kind of have preserved it, but it's up to all of us to steward it and to see what's next.
1: And it, and I, and I appreciate that so very much because, um, you know, many of the listeners know that my backstory is as an, an archaeologist and an underwater archaeologist. And what mm-hmm. some folks might not realize is that the majority of my archaeological career was actually out west. I studied, uh, you know, rivers and, and marine or water-based ecosystems um, in Western environments. And Yellowstone was one of the places that I worked for many, many years, um, off and on doing a variety of different projects. And I can honestly say that it is, without question, one of the most epic outdoor classrooms that you will ever get to experience, and whether you're there just as a visitor, or you're there for research, or you're there for learning opportunities, all of which are abundant um, in the ecosystem and, and in the space, uh, you are going to learn something. And I can honestly also say that I think I encountered every critter, <laughs> those 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 large uh, critters of prey, if you will, you know, in one capacity or another over the years, and it's you know, it's an awing, it's, it, it's an awing space. And when I'm there, I am reminded of how of how small we are, and yet how mighty humans are, as it relates to protecting something so so amazing, which I think is the gist of um, some of the Expedition Yellowstone program. And so, actually, that's really why we're um, why we why we're talking with Beth today, um, because we really want to understand the resources that are available from the teaching and learning side of what goes on in your own classrooms around the world, and the opportunity to come there in person, but for also for those from other places to get to experience. A, some small components of what Yellowstone has to offer. So Beth, share with us the sort of mission and vision or the intent, if you will, of Expedition Yellowstone.
0: Yes. So Expedition Yellowstone is indeed our curriculum-based residential program uh, where a teacher can bring their entire class, fourth through eighth grade, and they spend a week or a weekend. So three nights or four nights, and they're immersed in what you agreed is one of the best outdoor classrooms mm-hmm. possible. And so We, they come, they stay in our cabins or our dorm and they have a day in the field every day. And then they have communal chores at night to they're preparing their own meals and cleaning up after themselves. But the field day is really where it's at. Being able to learn immersed in nature is so, so valuable. Any visitor to the park is learning constantly when they're in the park. And even those of us who work here are constantly. But to be able to take your school and expand the classrooms to the great outdoors. The walls of your classroom are now all of Yellowstone and being immersed in place. You, science is just everywhere around you and the curiosity and wonder of just exploring and, and learning about the natural world. Um, so for a teacher who, who needs to teach science anyway, this is just so relevant and amazing for the students and very exciting. But obviously, as you know, as an archaeologist, we have a lot of cultural pitch human history here as well. Mm-hmm. And all of what they're doing is basically that that human environment interconnectedness and interdependence anyway. They're learning their role and creating and discovering, building their own role in, on the landscape. And so learning about what others have done throughout the history of the park um, and before it became a national park and all the humans that have interacted with this landscape drew them to Yellowstone. And the same things draw us to Yellowstone today. It's just a really great way to to learn every subject there is. It's so interdisciplinary, actually.
1: It is, and there's no reason not to teach that way when you have such an amazing resource, right?
0: Yes, yes, and obviously, a lot of the things we do um, in Yellowstone, you can do anywhere out in nature, whether it's um, you know in the schoolyard um, or certainly a, a piece of of public land nearby or just natural area. Uh, The trees and everything up close, whether it's a spider web or a a small hole in the ground and who built the hole or a gall on a leaf, you know, that kind of discovery and exploration can really happen anywhere. But what's really exciting about Yellowstone is that um, more and more we're finding students don't spend a lot of time outside. Um, And so when you get to do something like that, spend that much time outside day after day for a few days um, in a place like Yellowstone, It's just amazing because you're seeing predator-prey interactions right out in front of you. You can see the animals um, interacting with each other. Um, You can hear wolves howling. You always have the risk on a hike of uh, seeing a bear. And so we have to take lots of safety precautions. And being in a group like us is really helpful for that. But just it's like life enlarged somehow um, in Yellowstone. Everything is just so big. And then geology is really wacky. And so if you're going to learn about um, chemistry, water chemistry, um, better place than hot springs in Yellowstone, taking the temperature and the pH and learning about thermophiles, like creatures that actually thrive in acidic water. So from minute, you know, microscopic organisms to large landscape level migrations of bison and mountain lions or wolves or bears that might be preying on them. There's just a lot here and it's very exciting
1: way to learn. It is. And we see that, you know, kids all over the world, when I talk with teachers about their opportunity to get kids outside. um, And to your point, we are unfortunately um, seeing a lot of global trends around, you know, uh, certainly, uh, you know, the Gen Z kiddos not spend a lot of time outdoors anymore. And it's a shame. And but, but we also see that when you do take advantage of that opportunity and get those kiddos Outside, light bulbs go off. Curiosity is peaked. The kids are so wickedly, wickedly engaged. And both of my two older children participated um, in this program. Um, you know, having been in school in Bozeman, Montana, you know that was the middle school. Their eighth grade big to do was you got to go do the program in Yellowstone. And you know the kids all knew it was coming. And it was a it was a big fun thing. Uh, so lots of opportunity there. Let's talk a little bit about the fact that. Um, during the pandemic which has impacted you know all parts of the world um, that includes um, the U.S. National Parks uh, were impacted um, but you and your crew um, sort of took that opportunity to transition and make available very broadly and so I want to talk about what's out there that the park is doing right now so if I can't come to Yellowstone or I'm from Europe or I'm from South America and I'm listening to this and I just really want to grab a hold of some of the things that you're doing. How, how is that possible for me?
0: Right, yes. Well, Yellowstone is still open to for visitors, but you're right, we have had to postpone our, our residential school based mm-hmm. like Exhibition Yellowstone. So we have tried to make Yellowstone more broadly available the way everyone else is online um, and through the internet and through video conferences and basically distance learning type programs. And we've, we've had a distance learning program for quite a while, mostly for schools. Um, where you can interact with a a ranger live. Your class can, um, you can invite a ranger basically into your classroom via video conference. And of course, that looked a little different this spring. And sometimes this evolved for some completely online where all the students are actually at home learning. But you can still invite a ranger to participate as well in your class. And so we can bring a little bit of Yellowstone to the classrooms that way. For our expedition Yellowstone schools that, you know, we've had to cancel the residential program or postpone it for a little bit. We're doing some special distance learning programs for them uniquely. And then this spring, we also um, created a a series of educational videos where our rangers were out in the field and just kind of um, very short videos, but a little piece of Yellowstone on various topics. And many of those were posted on Facebook. But they're also on the park's website, on our distance learning web. So uh, teachers or families, anyone can use them. And I have to say that, you know, we try to gear our stuff for children in the youth programs office. But I think everyone turns into a a novel learner, um, Yellowstone, and they're fine for adults too. Pretty much any age would find something um, interesting and possibly new um, just by tuning in to educational videos.
1: Yeah, and as the students work through these different pieces, there's also that that opportunity for us to be able to think about where or how um, teachers can tie what... They experience through the Yellowstone programming into what's going on in their local communities, in their local backyards, and their local parks. Because I think that that's that great opportunity in the sense that it provides context for things outside of what I can see right here, surrounding me in this moment. I assume that you've you've sort of found that same sort of experience when when school groups come in, especially for the first time, into your program. Yes,
0: and it, so much is um, relatable. You, we, we kind of used Yellowstone as this um, this amazing hook to get them really excited because it is so like larger than life. Amazing right. where you turn. But we find that once they have gone out on a hike all day and some of them, you know, we are like, hike, that that sounds scary. We're like, no, it's just walking. <laughs> right. Um, and they think it, it means they're going to need ice axes and to climb up that high peak over there. But really it's just a walk through, you know, nature, whether it's a valley or... The- or safe fresh, you walk together and you kind of discover things along the way. And they realize that if you've ever spent much time in nature, the physical benefits of that, the mental and emotional benefits of that hit some some of these students kind of for the first time. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, wow, I feel so relaxed. Um, or I'm on edge because I don't know where that bison went that we saw from <laughs> this. But it's an exciting on edge. And in general, like, I just feel comfortable after a while. There's just something, a release that nature can give you. And, uh, and so that transfers anywhere and they can get into the curiosity and wonder of exploring something like a crack in the sidewalk. And what is growing? How did this plant come up through this small hole in the, in the concrete Or looking at spider webs, you know, even in the house, if they can't go out to the yard or they don't have, you know, a lot of trees and and leaves and grasses around them or something like that. But the things that they do in Yellowstone and the things that we can show them as we are wandering about and exploring, um, they transfer anywhere. And just getting into that, asking questions like that. Why does it look like that? Put this here. You know, whose exoskeleton is this? who shed this? Are sense of life here? Let's really get around and, and explore. And that sense of discovery, I think, does transfer just about anywhere.
1: It does, indeed. And I also think that the other thing that folks might not realize about Yellowstone, and this was a lesson that was brought home to me very clearly at this point now. It's been many years, I have to admit. You know, when I was working with a group of kiddos, um, I was um, excavating with the Midwest Archaeological uh, Center. We were excavating the Marshall Hotel. Um, on the banks of the Firehole River. And we brought in a group of a teacher and I think 12 high school kids from the Lincoln, Nebraska Zoo School to be our excavation team. And what was really fascinating in, in the space of that project was a, that we had the kids actively engaged as part of our research team, and so they were truly, truly to your point. Just like um, you know the expedition Yellowstone, they were immersed. Um, they were with us for a week, um, immersed in the environment, camping out in nature. You know, experienced all that thing. But the other things that they got to do, and so this was, I guess, you know, circling back around. Really, my point is that you know we know a lot about Yellowstone, but there's a lot we don't know about Yellowstone because it's a very unique environment. It doesn't look like any other place on Earth. There, there are a few intriguing corollaries around, around the globe, but nothing quite like Yellowstone. And there's just a lot that the scientists are able to learn all the time. Um, you know, During our project on the Marshall Hotel, the students discovered a new sulfate-reducing bacteria that had not been identified ever before. And that was their science project for the whole year they, they took all the samples that we collected we made all the arrangements with the park everything got to go back that was their work so not only did they have the experience in the moment but they were able to then translate that into an ongoing research project that kept them tied back to the park at every turn and you know if you read the research journals coming out of Yellowstone and I do um you know when, when they come every few months well, there's new, discoveries happening all the time. So how do you, how do you as a, the resident educator, how do you incorporate those types of things into your ongoing thinking and planning and scaling the work that you're doing?
0: That is so true. There are things being discovered in time. And we try to empower the students, we give them the tools And show them what some of the researchers and scientists are doing. And they're taking pH and temperature of the water. They're using telemetry equipment, the dropped um, radio collar from, say, a wolf. And they're learning what the scientists do in Yellowstone, but we're empowering them as scientists. Everyone is a scientist. We're all exploring our world. And what is exciting about Yellowstone is it is all unknown. We are so learning new things all of the time. And the research is continually happening with many, many people. Even NASA does research here. You know, the earliest forms on earth um, might come from some of these hot springs or still live here today in some of some of these weird acidic environments in Yellowstone. And that, you know, if you're going to look for life on other planets, maybe you're looking for similar things. So the students get to learn about some of the research that's going on. They get to hold some of the tools and use some of the tools that researchers use. And then they realize that we don't know
1: it all. We don't have the answer. That's the most exciting part. Is it? it is, we, that's oh, the most empowering part, right? I mean, because that that whole aha is empowering to students, right? That not only is it okay for the adults around you to not have all the answers all the time, but more importantly, you can actually make discoveries and know stuff that the rest of us don't.
0: Yes, and I think it's more important for them to learn the skills skills of science rather than any facts. Right, Um, I've already come to know. Those are certainly important too, but giving them the tools and the understanding of what science is. And if I don't know something, how would I go about learning more about that? How would I set up a way to observe that more intricately? What what more questions do I need to ask? And learning how they might come about finding answers to their questions rather than just asking someone who's already discovered that. How would I set up an experiment to determine if, if this is true or not? And it's exciting because Yellowstone is one of those places where there's so much being discovered all the time, but yet it's visible. Let's say the wolves. Wolves were reintroduced into Yellowstone after being exterminated, um, probably in the 20s. They were reintroduced in the late 90s. And we're discovering so much about that animal. The biology, the pack structure, the behavior, the dynamics of the predator-prey interactions, how they interact on the landscape, because they're so visible in Yellowstone. Mm-hmm. There are wolves you know, around the world, but they're not quite as visible as they are here. They're in the open valleys, and you can see what they do from day to day.
1: They're, they're a keystone species in Yellowstone, and removing them had you know, detrimental effect on the ecosystem and bringing them back has has caused this whole chain reaction that has been, to your point, incredibly visible and highly studied and understood. I mean, I, I remember... There's so many research projects related to oh, yeah, all the species that are interacting with that. Yeah, I remember when the wolves were being brought back. That was right when I was doing um, some of my research in the late 90s. And I remember sitting... Literally sitting on my excavation site in the Lamar Valley, um, you know, across the road from the big open valley, you know, for the first time actually walked watching, you know, one of those new packs come down the valley and you know, track an elk and her baby, separate the baby out, you know, circle of life going on. <coughs> just literally being in my entire crew. We stopped work, we sat down, it was close to sunset, and we just Watch! You couldn't hear a sound from the team because they were so enthralled by what was happening in real time right in front of them. Yes, it's just amazing, and that's the gift I will of Yellowstone. Carry that with me
0: forever. <laughs> yeah. Yes, it's so visible. Nature and science is so visible in Yellowstone, and so it's it's just immense of what you can really observe here, and to just kind of sit and in, in a spot and look at something really small, or look at the landscape level thing. Mm. But there's so much science that is going on. And I think it it allows students to realize that we're all scientists. It's just a matter of learning to ask questions and to see about how you might answer them.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think maybe that's that's really the key because, you know, especially in the U.S., for our, for our listeners here uh, in the United States, a lot of places, especially in elementary school, which is one of the reasons why I like the fact that the, the program taps into that upper elementary and really sort of, you know, moves through that middle school space where we lose a lot of kids. We know we lose a lot of kids in middle school who don't believe that they can be involved in a variety of different STEM um, opportunities, specifically but even more broadly in terms of the way they're thinking about future careers. But the thing that I I also like about that is that... It empowers students to believe they can be part of the solution, right? So that because of their curiosity and because they've learned the skills of being a scientist to ask a question, be natively curious, that they actually have the ability to to solve real world problems because Yellowstone, what's going on there is it's very, very real. I love the way you talked about making science visible. That's fabulous.
0: Well, and I think they also feel empowered because... So Yellowstone's the first national park. No one gave us a handbook. Here's what to do. Here's right. Here's the instruction book. And we, as the American people, are writing it as we go along. We are deciding every day what we want from our national parks. How do we want them managed? You know, how are we going to do science? Are we going to cull this species? Are we going to put a fence here? Like Yellowstone doesn't have a fence. So in addition to us writing the rule book here as we go along, what happens in Yellowstone, it spans and affects the larger region. There aren't fences to keep the bison in or the bears in or the elk in or the wolves. So it's it's part of a larger landscape. And the students themselves as, you know, people who live here are helping decide what we want from the park in the future. Are we going to exterminate wolves again one day? Are we going to call elk herds, you know, by, by basically taking out Wolf, uh, excuse me, elk, because we've removed maybe their predator wolves, or will we bring wolves back? You know those kinds of decisions all the time. Even with hot springs, you know, hot spring movements change, geysers um, become dormant or active again. Sometimes they become active right under a boardwalk, or a hot spring is going to over- <laughs> and um, flood an historic building. And then we've got cultural resources and natural resources. Do we allow the natural resources to do what they do? and jeopardize losing that historic home, Um, you know, those kinds of decisions, the managers have to decide all the time. And people are basically the managers because it's public land. So um, I like the idea that the students can become empowered with an idea like Yellowstone, because it truly is owned by the people. And it is the people who decide what we will do with it in the future. Will we have geothermal energy? Here. Will we tap into the geothermal features to, to create energy? Will that be an issue? You know, in the future, do we decide that millions of people come to Yellowstone just to see geysers acting naturally? Maybe that has a value in and of itself, and we should find energy there, um, just so we don't damage the geysers. But the students know that they they come to know that they own Yellowstone and that they can decide what happens here. But I think it also they become stewards out you know, into their lives, wherever they are. And they realize that they have a voice. um, They have a vote. They can become scientists. They can become managers, council people, board members, you know, whatever it is to influence what they think should happen and to show the values of our society and to shape those values of society. They are completely empowered and it doesn't stop at Yellowstone's doors. They take that into their communities and realize they have a voice to decide what happened.
1: They do, and it's a wonderful experience. And I and I agree. You know, there it, it, it it's that great opportunity to help these young folks become full participating citizens in everything that you know our country has to offer, which includes uh, the natural environment, our national parks, um, managing resources. Um, you know, I I tell folks all the time. You know, when they ask me about you know why having X Y or Z come and participate in any of these field programs, and I said, you know, I'm not in the business to create. This this fleet of archaeologists. Back when I was doing so much of that, I said, "But I am have a responsibility to 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 help create um, a fleet of stewards out there in the world who are who are conscious about and advocating for our cultural resources, our natural resources, um, and protecting our environment. So um, it's a great opportunity uh, for our students to uh, to to have. You know, I always like to close the program with a sort of a you know a last lob. So I'm I'm a teacher sort of in isolation. I don't have a Yellowstone Park anywhere near me, but I really really want to take some of what I heard Beth talk about today and make it my own and incorporate it into the teaching and learning that my students get to experience. So do you you have one piece of advice for someone to get started? with how to bring science into your classroom and make it real. Wow. Yeah. I think even bringing something
0: out from nature, if you can't take your students out into nature, bring something from the outside in and really just let them observe fully curiosity, not to name or ID what it is, but to fully just completely observe what, the thing is what it's doing, what it looks like, what, you know, what shaped this and then ask questions. Why would it look like, what is happening over time? Where do you think it came from? What created this part of it? Um, And just kind of spark that curiosity, but somehow create ways for them to work both individually and collectively in teams. So their own personal observations first, and then somehow to work into teams and to share what individuals learned and to have to work together, that team building, that building of community, the learning others' perspectives and how they might be different from yours, but they could expand your own. I think it's so so important, especially when we talk about stewardship. We have an individual responsibility, but we're all going to be working in tandem with each other to get it done. And so kind of bringing in opportunities for students to observe nature ask questions, formulate studies to to answer those questions or how would you answer those questions, but also to work together and to share their observations with one another and their perspectives and even their values. Mm -hmm. So that collectively we learn that we're part of a community, we build that community and that's how we're going to shape everything going forward is is working together, um, even when we have differences of, of perspective potentially. So getting students um, opportunities to get some of that, to understand what science is. And that way, when they read a newspaper article, they can actually decide for themselves, wait a minute. Yeah. Really? Do they seem to know those facts? Did they set up that study correctly? Do they, you know, how do they know that? Or at least ask the questions. Um, And they can absorb media then much more honestly and with a more informed disposition. Um, understanding what science is and who makes the decisions and who is at the table and who wasn't at the table, um, right. that kind of thing. And then they'll be the managers of, of everything in the future. And they will be good teachers because they'll have a better
1: understanding and they'll know how to work together. They'll know how to ask the, the good questions. They will, um, and that's perfect advice. Um, so thank you so much, Beth, uh, for giving us a little bit of your time today um, and sharing the story of what's going on um, at Yellowstone in terms of education and outreach and the opportunities that folks have uh, to bring um, the natural environment um, into their own uh, classrooms. So thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for this opportunity. Thank you for joining us for Learning Unboxed, conversation about teaching, learning, and the future of work. I want to thank my guests and encourage you all to be part of the conversation. Meet me on social media at Annalise Corbin, and join me next time as we stand up, step back, and lean in to reimagine education.